Good afternoon and welcome to SWAT Radio. It is Thursday, January 19th. I'm so glad you have joined us today. It is uh, Thursday guest day and we're still waiting on our guest call. Our guest today is Dr. Brad Hickey and uh, he is calling from Dort University and uh, I'm hoping that he'll be calling soon, Jeremy. Uh Anyway, it's never good when uh, they're not calling, but he's a professor, and hopefully, uh, you know, I, I, I talked to him yesterday, and he said we're good, so uh, I'm waiting. Anyway, if you're just joining us, SWAT stands for, uh, for the first time, SWAT Radio, uh, SWAT stands for Spiritual Warriors Advancing Truth. That's Spiritual Warriors Advancing Truth, and SWAT Radio spawned out of uh, the SWAT Bible studies here in Jacksonville. And we've been going for a little over six years now and uh, excited to uh, to be broadcasting uh, both here in Jacksonville, Florida, and St. Augustine, Florida, up in Folkestone, Georgia, on The Truth, on WMOX in Meridian, Mississippi, WMER in Meridian, Mississippi, and on The Lighthouse up in uh, the Chesapeake Bay, Virginia Beach area and streaming through SWATradio.com. So if you're driving and you're listening and you go, man, I got to get out of my car, just go to www.SWATradio.com and you can click on the red uh, live stream link and you can uh, continue listening on your uh, smartphone, your computer, and uh, and you can listen to this. This is a, a program today you're not going to want to miss. The reason is because video games are a billion dollar industry i mean it's unbelievable the impact in fact i heard one survey that said that and he and you know dr hickey can confirm this or correct me but um that uh that there's like 40 percent of the first world countries the people are playing video games which is amazing but anyway uh dr hickey is on the line um dr hickey welcome to swat radio Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I was a little worried. I was I always get that little anxiety when uh, th- th- there's no call, and I was like, uh, I hope he didn't get distracted up there or or have something pop up because I was really excited about you coming on today. A fascinating interview I heard with you, and that's what spawned me calling you to to be on today. And I, th- I think. Um, you know, you're a professor up at Dort University, and uh, I, I think, first of all, I would like people just to hear about Dr. Brad Hickey. Like, how did Brad Hickey come to faith? How did, you know, how, uh, tell us a little bit about your own faith journey first, if you're okay with that. Sure, absolutely. So I was raised, um, really, my my family was they were, you know, it was interesting growing up because some of them were, you know, at one week we'd be Assemblies of God, and then over time we'd be, you know, something else. And, and so, you know, I think that during my younger years, I think we were part of so many different denominations. Um, and yet, you know, I came from a faith-based family, um, 
you know, my my grandparents uh, and I think, you know, some of their ancestors, ancestors that come over from the potato famine and other things. And there's always this recognition of God. Um, Wait a minute. About, Go back you know, just a second. A you, said, you said potato famine? Yeah. yeah some so my, you, some <laughs> my uh, old, older relatives, yeah. So you're talking to people in Florida who have no idea even about potatoes. You must be from the Midwest, right? you got to be talking about <laughs> potatoes. So tell us about the Absolutely. potato famine. I'm interested to learn about it. I've never heard that phrase before. Tell us about it. <laughs> So, you know what? I don't know too much about it. I just know that it was a period of time where uh, immigrants came over during a particularly bad um, part of history where food was scarce. I'm not actually, despite the fact I'm hearing that all the time from my family, I don't know too much about it. But I know that from that period of time, uh, where they came from they was, a, I think, a very rich uh, religious and Christian history. And okay. so... They, my grandparents and parents and everything had kind of carried that on. Okay. Um, and I think a lot of my – so, yeah. It, it, unfortunately, I don't know the history of that very well. Well, I just had never – I feel like an expert in it. Yeah, yeah, I just – I thought that was interesting. I just never heard that before. So, well, so you, you grew up with a, with a faith-based family so that you had – you did I have did. a Christian influence in that regard. Did you? Where did you grow up? What part of the country did you grow up? Sure. I grew up in, so uh, in California, uh, I only, my wife and I, we only recently moved to Iowa about a year and a half ago. So we were born and raised uh, about 45 minutes north of San Francisco. Uh, at the time, uh, you know, it was a very small rural area, just large uh, fields and, you know, houses were built very sparsely. So there was a lot of acreage for every house and it, and it was really, um, and so it was a place called Windsor, California. Uh-huh. Um yeah, and uh, and you know, so we're about a little bit west, east of the you know the the rocky northern coasts and that sort of stuff. So I grew up loving the ocean, um, and you know, I think even from a young age, I had I've always felt I've always known there's a God. I've always felt that that God cared about me and was thinking about me. Um, but you know, and I think that being in church kind of drilled that into me. I heard the sermons, and I would always be so. Uh, just enthralled. I mean, I remember reading through the Bible multiple times, even as a young kid, because the stories just, they were so deeply meaningful to me um, and had such an impact. And I think, especially the Sermon on the Mount and the way Jesus was with it, with others and with children and that sort of thing, it, it was deeply meaningful. And, you know, but I think that even as I grew up with um, faith, I always wanted to ask questions. Mm-hmm. Um and, and I, you know, and I felt like, I, I think when I got married, you know, there is increasingly where I felt, I felt a deep longing to be like Christ, but so many of the times I felt that I never, I couldn't live up. And so there was a period of time, especially in college, where um, I just felt so distant and it got to the point where I felt embarrassed and, sh- and ashamed to call out to God because I was like, you know, most of the time I'm not living in a way that honors you. I'm not talking to you very much. I'm always talking to you only when I need you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt a deep sense of shame, so I didn't really talk to God for a while. And then I remember uh, I went, there was a church that we were going to, and some pastor came uh, and talked, and they were really good about talking about spiritual disciplines. And and the more I listened, just this pressure was building within me of just almost agony, uh, so that I went home and I just started weeping. And I told mm-hmm. God, I think, that night that, you know what, you don't, 
deserve somebody like me um, who is just says one thing and then does another. And I know that I don't have the strength inside myself to break those type of chains that I have. And so I told him, I, I, I said, you know, I'm not trying to be like one of those people, like put down a fleece or whatever, but I just said, I think that just to be an honest person, I'm going to walk away from my faith. And if you want to save me, now's the time because I can't save myself. And so it was, I'm not really a touchy feely person. I'm not, you know, all the type of stories of miracles I heard and everything else, I, I kind of downplayed them. But in that moment, I honestly, to this day, remember, I felt a presence enter the room and, and I felt, a sort of peace I'd never felt in my life. Um, and I could just hear it keep saying, you know, go to sleep. I'll take care of it. Go to sleep. I'll take care of it. Um, and the next morning when I woke up, I, it's just something inside me had miraculously changed. Uh, I still can't even really describe it, but it allowed me to do the things like read my Bible without guilt and to start pursuing. And I, and I think that night I told God, I said, if you save me from this moment on, I'm going to deconstruct my faith and I'm going to start looking at commentaries and reading the best stuff and start to put the best bricks in my faith that I could to build the foundations. Right. Um, and so the next day, you know, within a few months, this just shows you how things differ different. I, I had memorized the entire first chapter of first Peter, um, you know, and things like that. And so from that moment on, I remember thinking, Christ has done something in me today, and I'm his man to my dying breath. Yeah. And that's the way it's been ever since. That's cool. And I think the term is called rest, resting in him, which is uh, interesting. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, I, I I actually went and spoke a couple of times out in your neck of the woods. I'm trying to remember if I remember the name of the city. You said, I spoke in Calistoga. You know where Calistoga is? Yes. Yeah, I went there many times. Yeah, so... Uh, they did this big rock festival out there. Um, it, it was called Rock, some kind of Christian. It was a you know they bring in bands and they bring in speakers and um, uh, Christafari was singing. You remember that old group? They they were playing and I was out there at Calistoga, but it was a beautiful part of the country. And you know people think of California, which is where you grew up, and. Uh, the Napa Valley, San Francisco, but there's a fairly conservative element out there in Santa Rosa in that area, isn't there? Yes, there is. That's correct. Yeah. So it's really, I mean, most people think of San Francisco, they think of progressive and all this stuff, but I was surprised at uh, how conservative that area was, uh, uh, you know, and believers out there in that area. So made me want to pray for guys like you and the people that were out there that, you know, you just kind of write off a lot of California's progressive and uh, really, uh, and that's why uh, we need to be praying for those people in that area out there. So that's that's encouraging to hear. Well, you know, I heard you speaking about video games, and I know in your testimony you said you came from a dysfunctional family, kind of had a difficult childhood because you struggled like a lot of kids do, and um with different things. I mean, we all struggle, but you particularly said you had a stutter problem. And uh, when you, you know, got into video games, it, it became a place that you could kind of get away or enjoy. And you felt like you didn't have to worry about either people teasing you or stuff. Could you talk a little bit about that and how, first of all, you got into video games? <laughs> sure. I'd be happy to. Um, well, for me, I, uh, 
my earliest video game memories was my grandmother, who is one of the, uh, I think we used to say she's one of the first Virginia Slim ladies, uh, <laughs> would go bowling professionally and, uh, you know, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and, uh, you know, she had um, an Atari 2600. And when I was very young, she would uh, take me, I, I always remember the, the formula. It was take me out to get a burrito uh, f- from a local store and then come back. And we would play Frogger and uh, Kaboom and all these other games together. And it was just such a great time. It's my fondest memories of my grandmother. Um, and my grandfather was, I think he was in engineering at uh, United Airlines in San Francisco. And so he was really into electronics. He had the first home PC called the PC Junior. Uh-huh. Uh, and that had these video games on there as well. Um, so my earliest memories are deeply impacted by the sounds, the music, the the gameplay of video games. And I it just enthralled me. And I think I've always just loved playing games in, in general, like board games. But um, And I, then I, as I got older, um, I remember, uh, and many people would laugh, but I remember seeing at my aunt's house the first uh, Super Mario Brothers. Um, <laughs> or, you know, and I remember just stopping. But it, for, this seems so silly, but for me it was almost like a minor spiritual event and that it was like a lightning bolt went through me in that moment of saying like, I can't believe something like this exists, this, the music and everything else. And I had a similar experience with final fantasy seven when I was a little bit older, but my hands pressed against the glass at a electronic boutique. They were called at the time, a software store. Yeah. Um, and, and, um, and, but you know what? And yes, I did come from a very dysfunctional family. Um, that was, yeah, I think that, we as children really struggled with confidence. Um, and my, you know, we didn't, I think there was periods of the time where our kid, our parents kept us out, kept us out of school and didn't school us at all. So there's, there's often four to five year gaps in my education when I was young, um, along with that socialization. And so when I got older, I, I couldn't even order. Oftentimes I was so embarrassed going to a Burger King or, or wherever and trying to order a combo meal because I could not get through the words without, seriously compromising the speech. And so that people would be like, I don't even know what you're saying. <laughs> um, and I, and even with other people, you know, growing up like that, I couldn't really communicate with the people around me. I would be the kid in the locker at the locker, you know, later in like high school when nobody wants to talk to you. So I coming out of that, I could not. And I think that for me, you know, church had been at times a good thing, but oftentimes I also felt alone. Uh, I, so I was there. I loved God. I loved hearing the scriptures. I, I loved all that sort of thing that goes with, the Christian faith, but for me as an experience, as a person, it was deeply painful at times, and, and along with my family. So for me, a lot of the traditional embodied in-person institutions in society that often help people had, for me, not functioned properly. And so I ended up playing a game called World of Warcraft online, and I was very fortunate through a series of events to find a guild called GTH. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember exactly what it stood for, but, uh, and, uh, and it was the most remarkable group. They had been together since a game called Ultima online and they were all across the country. And explain um, to people what a crowd. guild is real quick. You... Absolutely. So it's a team. It's, it's like a family of players who come together for the, for certain purposes. Uh, the guild kind of has their own unique, maybe we're just going to be spending time together and talking, or maybe we do these big quests together and fight these big boss, which requires, a lot of training over weeks. Um, to, in the game, right? You're talking in the game to defeat That's these correct. particular enemies. Yeah. 
Okay. That's well, right. And, and, um, oh, go ahead, please. I'm, I'm just trying to educate you. You got to understand, we got a lot of listeners who have kids that play video games, sons or sure. grandchildren that play video games, and they're not familiar with it. In fact, a lot of people have been told and tell kids uh, that video games are evil that um mm. that they're that it's almost i call it the magic bullet theory and that's not original with me mm. people think if they get kids off video games they're not going to be violent they're not going to do these things the issue's not the video games uh the the issue's mm. the heart it's always the heart and and so i just yeah. want to i want our listeners to be educated when you talk about things what what you're talking about so you're talking about a community of people in that video game world that do things together, but they don't fear each other. They don't have to worry about things because they're all over the world, right? They're literally all over the country. Um, and yeah. so, so you don't have some of the social awkwardness that you have when you're right there in a room with somebody, right? Is, is that Am I saying that right? Yeah, absolutely. There is this, you're on an, you're, being anonymous uh, also, you know, it helps. And I think, that it allows you to interact with people. You know, I one of the most unique things about it, because there were people all around the world that were playing it, that I was able to interact daily with Muslims and Wiccan priests and atheists and people of all sorts of different beliefs and, uh, you know, and like where they live in the world. I mean, one of the guys I was talking to lived in Iran and he was a Muslim and they were going through war at the time. And, and you're we, playing we, video we, games with this guy. With each other. <laughs> That's crazy. That's right. <laughs> Wait a minute! You're actually hanging around sinful people. Oh my gosh! It's almost like something Jesus would do. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to be facetious like that, but it's just that, like I, I told you, I play video games and I've had conversations with people, and a lot of people think they're evil. They really do, and that's one of the reasons I wanted you to come on. And that's a really fascinating thing what you just said that. You can interact with people who are Wiccans. These are witches or people who are Muslims. It doesn't mean you ascribe to their beliefs, but you're engaging with them in a format that they they don't have to fear. They're enjoying the game. You're enjoying the game. But you can actually be some kind of a witness to that person. How How great is that? You would almost think that somebody could start something at a seminary or a Bible college and teach people, oh, wait, that's what you do. Okay, that's why I got you on here. So let's go back to getting your story out there. How did you move from being there in that world to thinking, wow, this is something that we could use the gospel at? You know, this is something that we could train people to see as a mission field. Yeah, I— well, first of all, so there's a couple parts of that. First of all, I think that when I was writing my dissertation, and the reason that I wrote my dissertation on video games and how to interpret and engage them from a reform perspective or a Christian perspective was that, you know, I had always grown up hearing all these negative things about video games. But as I started to study them, I saw how video games could be used for people who with disabilities who use gaming as a way to, to move beyond their disabilities to to engage in activities they couldn't in normal life or to watch as people build communities and help themselves work through trauma. And so my, so as I began to see these things, I would say to myself, what is the Holy Spirit doing in video games? And that was one of my operative questions is that 
you know, if you are a Christian who says that every square inch of the world is God's, mm-hmm. um, and that God created us to create culture and enjoy and delight in his creation, but we have this responsibility before God as his creatures to steward it well, to do it well. Um, my question was to say, okay, why are we saying that everything is God's, but this one thing, video games, should be put off the side. They're not good. They're just inherently good. How does that work in a Christian framework where it says God is Lord over all things and that he's died for us to be freed and delight and to, and to explore his creation. And so oh, there's a lot of disconnect for me. So I, as I went through this, um, one of the things I started thinking about is what does, what is the difference between a Christian gamer or what is it like to be doing Christian missions online or and this sort of thing? And I thought it was so pressing because I started to see the statistics of how there are 3.23 billion gamers around the world. Um, and what implications that has for Christian mission. It's an unreached people group of such an enormous size who don't have Christians who are speaking into their life and helping them think about what does it mean to be healthy in these spaces or or what is it, you know, and, and, and so for me, I thought, you know, pastors don't know what to do oftentimes when they have, because if you think there's 3.23 billion gamers, that means there's over 700 million gamers in our classrooms, yeah. and there's so many in our pews. Uh, and so as Christians who are meant to love and care and share the gospel, how do we think about sharing it into these unique tongues and dialects and tribes that are online and everything? So I just felt as I began to explore the books out there and the resources, I realized there just wasn't much in the academy or the church or anything. There's just one or two books out there. Mm. Um, and so for me, it's been really important to say, how can I start to network and write books and produce resources and provide space here at Dort University for students who love gaming or want to be in the gaming industry? How do we start thinking about that? But it's a bigger thing than just me. So how do we how do pastors and, and academics and, and students and uh, professionals, how do we work together to start really thinking about Christian mission in these spaces? And that's, that's kind of how I got to this space. Well, it's interesting because I was, <laughs> I went into the YMCA this morning. I've been going to for gosh, 10, 11 years. And in the last month, you know what they have now? They have an e-sports mm-hmm. room and it's part of the YMCA. Now think about that. I, I mean, that's crazy because when you think about gaming, it's it's like a video game. I mean, it's not really that physical. But what what I love one thing that you said one time. I was I was as I was doing research about you and that you basically talked about somebody who had a disability who learned how to use their eyebrows and cheeks to manipulate a controller and actually went on to win in some kind of world gaming championship. That is amazing to me that a person like that could engage and get some positive interaction in a way that they couldn't physically do something like that. You know, that's, that, 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 that's really something to think about uh, that, that I hadn't thought about, about people, even like yourself, you said, you know, you, you struggled with confidence. That's probably why 40% of the world is into gaming. (laughs) It's a place people Mm -hmm. can go to and really with some practice and repetition and some friendships along the way, because yeah, I realize they're superficial, but didn't you say also that 
uh, you guys would even be uh, go to each other's weddings or stuff in your World of Warcraft group. Y'all got invited, or uh, didn't you say something like that? Yeah, that they, these uh, we would, you know, especially the ones that had known each other from Ultima Online. Uh, they they would they would go to each other's weddings when they were on business trips. They would stop by when people would get cancer. They would uh, visit with them. It was really it really the that this wasn't just online, but offline mm-hmm. really contributed to a deep level of relationship that I think that wouldn't have existed otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I loved your question about what's the Holy spirit doing in video games. How is he, because, mm-hmm. and, and I think when you and I were talking on the phone and maybe from even your first interview that I heard, you talked about, can you sin? in a video game. In other words, can your avatar sin? Like if like like I know one thing that you see if you play Call of Duty or Halo like I've played, people will will like teabag you or after they kill you they just sit there and do they desecrate you, you know? And <laughs> and after I heard you say that, it really impacts the way you react like you know, I, I don't want to go beat up people anymore just to beat them up, you know, in the video game, just because sometimes mm-hmm. you get frustrated. But it was it was a really interesting question because the sin is an attitude of the heart always. And I never really mm-hmm. thought about that. But, you know, what's the other thing is we're assaulting influence in those video games. Uh, by that salt, I mean, when like at least when I'm in games now, I tell people I'm a preacher you know, they want to know what I do, and I tell them, uh, first of all, they're amazed I'm 61 and I'm playing a video game. But then I tell them I'm a preacher, and they start to watch their language. And I, and I, I want to ask you about that when we come back. Like, how vocal are you about your faith, and how do we introduce that? I'm sure that's something you cover in your class, but uh, we got to go to a station break for the news. And when we come back, could you kind of take us through maybe things to think about as we engage these online gamers for christ sure i'd be happy to okay hey you're listening to dr brad hickey and he is a professor at dort university you can go to dordt.edu for more information on gaming and faith there with him he is on their faculty up there and i would love for you to stay tuned we'll be right back after the break with more of his interview on SWAT Radio. Stay tuned. They say sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. And right now, right now I'm losing. Hey, welcome back to uh, SWAT Radio. It's Doug McCary of His Light Ministries, and uh, we have Dr. Brad Hickey from Dort University up in uh, Ohio, right? Is that where you are? Uh, Ohio? (laughs) Iowa. 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 I'm sorry, Iowa. Not Ohio. I meant Iowa, and I said Ohio. Uh, He got his doctorate from Fuller Seminary, and uh, he uh, is... He runs, I guess you run the eSports department up there as well as teaching. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, it, it's not an eSports uh, program. It's more of a, it's a gaming club. 
a but gaming yes, club. I do that in teaching as well. Okay. And so he um, he teaches on engaging in the video game world. You know, that's really staggering, that stat you, you mentioned a while ago, that over 3 billion people in the world. That is unbelievable. That is a lot of people that play video games. And, you know, I told you, being a former Marine and a former FBI SWAT guy, I like Call of Duty. I like it because of the 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 military style action the camaraderie of you know getting a team accomplishing missions and um you know it it, it is it, you just get to connect with people it, it, i'm sure it was similar in some ways to world of warcraft where you do team things together i think everybody wants to be part of a team you know uh there's just something about in that video game world when you're able to connect with somebody to accomplish something we really live in a world that's very disconnected in a lot of ways, aren't we, Dr. Hickey? Yes, we are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that oftentimes, you know, as I, I've looked and read books on people in different situations and around the world, that, that oftentimes, now gaming itself, is a it, it could be a very God-pleasing and glorifying thing, but for a lot of people, it's they feel disconnected, they feel that they can't achieve the good life. They don't feel a connection with people, like you said earlier. Um, and that drives them to, to online spaces as a place of relief. And yeah, absolutely. I think you're right on, on that. Yeah. And the thing is, and, and I, I don't want to listen, I don't want to give the impression that video games can't be bad. They can, they can be bad or good. I think they're neutral, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's like I teach firearms. I'm a firearms instructor and I teach people that guns are neutral there. A gun is a tool. If it's used by a bad person, it can be a bad thing. If it's used by a good person, it can be a good thing. And to go back to your kind of Abraham Kuyperish uh, view a while ago that we, we want to take it and make it a good thing. Imagine if more believing people that we're playing video games, engaging that mission field, just like we engage China or we engage Russia or wherever we go. Um, I, I, I just, I think it's fascinating and it's a really good thing. So getting back to the question, how soon into the process do you identify yourself? Cause I'm pretty quick and I may be, you know, wrong. <laughs> it may not be the best thing, but I just tell people I'm a preacher because they want to know what do you do a lot of times. Do you tell mm-hmm. people you're a professor or do you just kind of play that low key until you get further along in the process? Yeah. So I think that it for me, when it comes to sharing myself online, I I tend to try, this is just my personal approach, is that you know, I like to take the long approach with relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a very contextual thing. There were people like my Muslim mm-hmm. friend, you know, and I, well, I think majority of the time I've ever shared my faith with people. What I do is I first show them that I, I love the game they love. Mm-hmm. We, like I loved World of Warcraft. And, and so it was through shared experiences and where they saw that I was good at the game. And then we did stuff together. And then I would, you know, oh, they need this thing. So I'll go help them do that. So we had a base of experiences together. So they they had a good feel for who I was. That so then I then when that when a, an appropriate topic came up, I could say, oh, that's really interesting. You're Muslim. Well, I'm Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, and this so this is where I disagree with you on. And this is what I agree. 
and and but never making it to where okay now we're enemies you know now and so it's it was always a dialogue it was always on based on trust and I, so i feel like for me sharing the gospel and sharing my faith online first requires me to be a citizen of that space and show them you know just that i care and i love them and that sort of thing through the game and then when it comes to a space where i feel like i've earned that trust then to talk with them uh, if they're open to it and and some aren't you know and i think that that's where every single relationship online for me i evaluate it on its own merits mm-hmm. um knowing that for some people if i shared it it would just end the relationship and there, not because of their experiences with me per se maybe sometimes i don't know but but maybe they've had some difficult experiences with the church or maybe they've been per- they've been hurt Mm-hmm. Um, so that for them, their their understanding of the gospel and of the church and everything is skewed and broken. Um, so that would be a hindrance to relationship and faith. Um, and so I have to feel out everyone. That's what I do. Um, but I often feel like, like I said, you know, that when I talked with the Wiccan priest, there was so much interest, you know, not only, you know, not to see them as a target where I'm just trying to convert them and get a notch on my belt, but to say that I don't know Wiccan priests. What do you believe about this? Uh-huh. How do you go about this? Oh, that's very different than to show interest and in that you really see them as a as a human being and not a target to be acquired. You know, um, that meant a lot, I think, and that went a long way for me. Uh, but that was my approach usually, and and continues to be. Well, I, I want to go back to something you you said that I think is really important in every area when we go to engage with culture is. They have to know you care when you go out there. They have to see that you care. And one of the things that I found, you mentioned being good. Uh, When I first started playing Call of Duty, I hated it because I wasn't very good at it. And I can remember when you're not good, (laughs) that's the way of the world, right? The world doesn't want to be around you, right? But when you start contributing, the other thing I see is a lot of different personalities in the video game world. I'm sure you see it too. You see very selfish people who only want to do their own thing. They're ostracized from the group pretty quick. You know, I can see that it's very similar socially to the way a lot of times it is in real life. But, but if you engage with a group and you're a team player for the group, even if you're not the best, they tend to accept you in and, then you can have conversations with them and talk to them. And it's fascinating to me the things that people talk about online. They talk about their life. I mean, real-life stuff like, you know, family stuff, and they're they're very vulnerable in that arena as they're playing a video game. Do you find that in that other world as well? Because I, I was shocked by that, how, how open and transparent people were in that world. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, I think I found that too, especially again with those people that you earn the trust. There's those moments after, uh, you know, w- what we call raids, the big boss battles, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and during that, mo- you know, after those moments of joy and delight and fulfillment, uh, people were just in that sort of relaxed stage online. And yeah, we would just talk about lives. And yeah, uh, absolutely. So there's times I'm just like, I'm, I'm pretty sure that they're telling me things that they've never told they would never tell anyone, you know, in the physical world. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's quite fascinating. Well, so, so as you teach this up there, what has been the response 
from the students and the the uh, maybe just even the 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 university itself have they embraced it pretty good have you gotten good feedback from the people uh on on engaging people in that world teaching them how yeah um i honestly didn't know what to expect you know i came out fresh from my phd and had these theories and had these hunches and then i came here and i and i came here on a prove it year um, to show the university whether this was viable or not. Um, and we didn't know what to expect. We're a 1,400-student campus, um, and it was within a few months. You know, and I think that was very difficult. That There's several things. So, you know, a lot of the standard feelings about video games were present in the in the campus <laughs> and the faculty, um, where they were all, many of them were sort of like almost embarrassed that I was coming. Um, <laughs> yeah. And... <laughs> you know, this is going to be silly. We're going to have a gaming club. It's going to fail. And why are we even doing this? Why are we bringing this guy from California? Uh, I think there is a, there is a boundary between myself and the students who have, I think oftentimes in the church, there's this feeling that, you know, you need to hurry up and move on from video games. That's very childish. That's very lazy. Uh, get to a real job, get to a real hobby, like learning the violin or something. Um, and I think they've imbibed it, you know, I, I've read, and so, when I came here, uh, the students, I think, had to be won over. They were sort of like, I know you're here to gimmick us. You're going to want to get us in a small room with horrible computers, and you don't really understand video games. And this is just a, a, another plot uh, by the university to get us out of our rooms. Um, and I really felt like that was sort of the attitude. But I think that, you know, because I've given my life to gaming, and I do have a lot of play experience, and was able to talk their language, and uh, and and everything we tried to do by buying good computers and a great, you know, trying to equip it well, you know, to say we love you. We're actually we actually do see you as you really are. Um, we suddenly within, you know, we didn't know what to expect, but we had over we now have over 150 students, like I said, on a 1400 campus. Um, and, you know, and it's just become really successful. Um, and I think that over time, uh, you know, with the faculty, there was a lot of discussion. And I think that once they saw that I was coming at it from a reformed uh, Christian perspective, forgive the uh, train coming by. Yeah, I just um, saw, I thought there was some background. I'm going, wow, that sounds like a train. <laughs> so that's funny. <laughs> you are in Iowa, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I am definitely in Iowa. Yeah, uh, but yeah, so the, the university was very, uh, and I, I think one of the most, the biggest strengths of Dort University is that the faculty and staff and leadership uh, what they want you to do is prove it, like show us how this comes from our mission and goals and our reformed foundations and show us that it actually matters to the students that they actually will care about this and actually give them, you know, valuable training and experience and lessons for life. Um, and when they saw that with my gaming class, you know, I, 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 <laughs> I taught my first gaming class last year and it's just to help students start to think about gaming uh, from a reformed perspective or a Christian perspective. And, and, uh, you know, we had 35 in the first class, and they, and they really loved it. got high reviews, and then now I'm teaching it again, and it's a similar type of thing. So ultimately, overall, and I think even with the podcast with the Gospel Coalition and others um, and the other things that I've been doing, I have not—I I expected a lot of pushback from parents and others, and what, that is not what I found. I have since, in the last three weeks, I've gotten emails from military contractors who are Christians, FBI agents. I've gotten emails from pastors and youth directors and worship directors and academics um, and educators in the K-12 system. And they were all saying that, finally, there's some stuff 
there's work being done on these things, and we need it so badly. Yes, we um, do. That's well, that's one reason I wanted and, you on because oh, yeah. I I think what you're doing is is really um, opening up a window to a mission field that a lot of a lot of listen. I know youth groups that have Xboxes all in them and and uh, Playstations all in them, but are they they're using yeah. them just to attract the kids and not equip the kids to be the missionaries that they can be. And that's why I thought what you're mm-hmm. doing is so effective. Have you thought, just throwing a thought out there, have you thought about writing a little booklet or something to help pastors or churches understand or a way that they can help train little missionaries in that field? You know, I mean, just I, I know that, that that's – you know, I'm just some of the principles that you've got, I think, would be very helpful for churches. Have you thought about that at all? Yeah, I have. Uh, I have one book coming out a little bit later uh, this year or maybe a little bit early next year. But I think that that is definitely something I'm interested in doing for the next one. That's great, because that there is a need. I, I want we, we have about 10 or 12 minutes left. I do want to uh, pick your brain just a little bit about what about the people out there who with their kids or or their husbands or their, you know, grandchildren, whoever, uh, it's obsessive. In other words, they aren't working because all they're doing is playing video games. They're not that they're just consumed with the world like because there are dangers. How do you address that with students? How do you. How do you encourage us to to take that? Because because you know as as parents and grandparents and people who who care about how do how do we uh, how do we not throw out the baby with the bathwater kind of a thing? That is an incredible question, <laughs> and it is complicated. Um, I know that when I came to door, one of the one of the reasons that they brought me out here also was to say, how do we help the students that are getting addicted to gaming and then losing themselves and getting unbalanced and flunking out or, and I'll tell you, it's, it's difficult. Like the gaming guild here, you know, we oh so many of the people that we're getting are the people that are already balanced or that just needed a little push. They were already, they already have a network of friends and family and we still struggle to figure out how to get the people that are the ones that are, that have lost themselves mm-hmm. um, out of their rooms and into the guild. Cause often they, they will shy away from it because they don't want to be called to, to change or anything like that. And so I think it is very difficult. Um, and so I think that some of the things, and I think that's why perhaps, you know, the background of it is, is oftentimes it's a lack of education that, you know, I think that how, how often do students and, and, and children not know uh, both how to approach it in certain healthy ways and also to recognize the dangers out there. And so we just keep repeating the same problems over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that also it takes a comprehensive approach. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times what I see is that maybe a grandparent or a parent will want to talk to them over dinner and say, oh, what were you playing? But there's not a lot of understanding. And so it's hard for them to speak the same language. And I think that oftentimes one of the best things you can do with your child or your grandchild is to play the games they're playing. Mm-hmm. It might be intimidating. It might be difficult. It might be embarrassing. You may not do well. But I think for a majority of children or, or teenagers, find, 
you know, and then you know your your child or your grandchild the best, what is the best way to do that with them? And then have those moments where you could laugh at when you're, you're so much worse than they are or have these adventures, you know, like with my daughter, we play World of Warcraft. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have these memories now of like, oh, my gosh, remember when we ran away from that huge bear? <laughs> yeah. And then they got me, you know? Um, and she'll just crack up when we play Smash Brothers together. And, you know, we're getting to the point now where, she's getting better than I am and I can't do anything about it. And she just loves that. Mm. Um, and it's such a point of discussion so much so that she's bought, you know, pokey, uh, uh, what is it? Um, Kirby t-shirts and Kirby gear and all that stuff <laughs> because that's her favorite character that we play together with, <laughs> that's you funny. know? And so I think that, I think that just, there's not, there's no silver bullet for, a, you know, it's just like alcohol addiction or any other addiction or, or unhealth, you know, health problem in that it's just it's going to be very unique to that person it could be very difficult to get out but i think that we can there are ways like playing with them or talking with them and helping them understand the dangers and that sort of thing and and setting healthy boundaries if we're caretakers in their lives um that can help out a lot i think i I don't know if that's helpful no it is and and i I just as i'm sitting here thinking because i know you kind of delve into this world are there games uh, or or is there a way like are there games that you just like I, you shouldn't play like when i i didn't know what world of warcraft was i don't know what it is i just i, I i'm not familiar with that i have found from people i talk to that play video games whether it's world of warcraft or call of duty or they tend to be fairly loyal to their games and other you know in other words very like if you like to play you know, war games, you're going to play like Call of Duty as far as like that kind of game. You're going to play Call of Duty or there, there's a couple of other games like that, but you're not going to delve over necessarily into the world of Warcraft. It's a little different type of game. Are there any games out there that just you should definitely stay away from that pop into your head off, all you know, just off the cuff? Yeah, I mean, I think that you want to be careful if you're a parent with, especially if you have small children. Um, there's games out there that, now, I, there's a lot of them. So I don't think even just saying one, but maybe like a Candy Crush type game or other ones where their friends are playing it. And, and companies know that younger children don't have the same mental defenses as adults. And so be careful of games that... Uh, pressure the child if they have their phone and saying, oh, you haven't been on lately, you know, you're going to miss your friend or these little bonus carrots or whatever. Um, you know, anything with younger children that is going to try to manipulate them. And so just be careful of those microtransactions or, you know, what, how are they playing the game and what are they trying to tell the children and get them in to do? Um, and I think that games like Grand Theft Auto, um, you know, some games, I think, and I mean, it can be very contextual. Some people can actually play Grand Theft Auto for ministry purposes or whatever. But uh, Grand Theft Auto is a game that is produced by Rockstar Games. And, and, and a lot of what they do, in my opinion, is the way it's built isn't to say these things are wrong. Don't be like this. It's enjoy. It's enjoy games. being wrong, isn't it? That in that particular game type. Yes. Yeah. That that was the one yeah. that popped into my head off the top. I, I didn't even think about Candy Crush. I don't know that much about it. I know Candy Crush advertises a lot on TV, so you see it a lot. Yeah. And I know I see uh, young teenage girls playing that game a lot. 
Uh, and, mm-hmm. and I, I think it, it could be, <laughs> I don't know. It seems to be pretty addictive, uh, to get in there. Uh, yeah. and I heard when you did your gospel coalition interview talking about how these video game companies make all their money. And a lot of it is through pass through sales, isn't it? It's, it's not the cost of the game itself. Mm-hmm. It's the things that you can buy in the game to make yourself better or more clothed different. That's right. right. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting. I think that's another aspect of, you know, trying to choose games wisely is is that some companies will basically give you a shell of a game and then make you keep paying to get little bits of the game that they've already created so that it's hard to find the full game, a really rich game experience because you're always having to pay more money to get just little pieces. Um, and, yeah, and, and I think that that's where most of the comp- a lot of companies are going is to say, um, wow, we can get we get a certain amount of, of money from our game based sales, but once but it's through the microtransactions and buying little clothing and all these other things. That doesn't have to necessarily be bad, but it can lead to the fact that the company doesn't even really care about the quality and content of their game. And they don't really think about the responsibility as artists and, you know, how is this actually enriching society and culture? So be careful. There, there's great companies out there that are doing things that are completely opposite of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's definitely, I think, more and more today. It's not like when we had Nintendos and Sega Genesis and everything where there wasn't any of that and everyone focused on the content of the game. Um, you just got to be a lot more selective now with your kids and yourself, I think. Mm, that's, that's Well, that's really good. Well, um, do, do you have any other kind of anything else that you you can say to parents and uh, grandparents and people that are out there that have kids gaming as far as like is there an age too young for them like my i remember my son started playing mario at four you know and and we let him play we didn't let him play all day we let him play you know for a while but he enjoyed it and and i i I think it's stimulating for the mind. You know, I want to go back real quick. Sorry to interrupt my own question, but you said something earlier about it being silly that you're playing a video game or whatever. You know, what was fascinating to me, uh, Dr. Hickey is when I was in the military, I was trained as a pilot and a lot of what we did in the simulator seemed like a video game to me. Um, Mm. because I flew a a fly-by-wire aircraft. I was a Harrier pilot. And it was a lot of hand-eye stuff going on with screens. You were doing stuff on the screens. And even when I was at the FBI Academy and we were doing simulated shooting, we did kind of stuff with computer-simulated bad guys and stuff. And and so a lot of that stuff has been kind of captivated in some of these video games. And it's pretty amazing how realistic the the guns, uh, the military guns and all that stuff is. Um, and, and so it, it's a form of entertainment, you know, and I'm just, for me personally, as a guy who, if I can watch a TV show about, a you know, uh, like an action movie, or I can be in the action movie in a video game, I'm going to be in the action movie. And, and I think there, there's not, I, I, I don't know. I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing. You know, because a lot of the people that that I know that have had negative things to say about video games love watching action movies. <laughs> they love watching a, a movie where people are killing people and then getting revenge on people. 
And I, I don't know. Yeah. I, uh, could you speak to that for a second? Don't you feel kind of the same way? Wouldn't you rather be in a game doing something than just watching somebody else do something? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think so. And I, I think that, you know, video games have come so far in, in its graphical capabilities and its storytelling capabilities. They're, they do so many new and different things, depending on what you want to get out of them. Like I said, it's, um, for many people, those stories in video games now are of such a quality uh, that they're approaching art. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not, and they're never, and I think the way God designed play is that even video games could be used for God's glory. Um, and they're artistic. I, I think of even the way the computer is, there's an art called fractals. You could have only found by using computer algorithms. It's a part of God's creation. We couldn't have found any other way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that, you know, just something to say to parents and, and grandparents and that sort of thing is that video games are just like everything else. They could be, um, you know, they could be used in ways that bring darkness and undermine God's kingdom. But at the other side of it, I, the Holy Spirit's working in those spaces. He's beautifying. He's touching people in those spaces that there are great careers. There's great ways to, you know, even think about how to reach people in online missions. There's so much in there that could be used for God's glory to show how wonderful he is, to mm-hmm. build community, and, you know, to, to, to build a happy life. So I, I think it's it's just like anything else from violins, the counting, the, um, it's God's space, and, and, and we're called to it, too. Yeah, and you, you mentioned Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father, God the Father through him. Thank you uh, so much. Dr. Hickey for being on today. That, again, that's Dr. Brad Hickey from Dort University, D-O-R-D-T. And uh, I get, if you want to know more information about uh, this Christian school, you can go to www.dort.edu. And you can, he even has an article on there called Gaming and Faith. And he also did a gospel coalition. Uh, thank you, Dr. Hickey, for being on. And I hope to have you back after your book comes out, okay? (laughs) That sounds great. All right, thanks for having me, and have a great day. All right, take care. If you missed a SWAT radio broadcast this week and would like to hear any show in its entirety, then go to SWATradio.com. Click on Past Shows, where you can listen to the broadcast. Also, if you're looking for a band of brothers that gather around God's Word to be a part of, then go to SWATradio.com and email one of our hosts, and they can get you plugged in to one of the local SWAT Bible studies. Tune in next time to explore how SWAT Radio is strengthening 